excited to be a part of this sermon series, what it looks like to be unified, to be one. That's not just 18 to, you know, 75-year-olds. That's all the way down to threes. How can we be the family of God? And last week, we talked about what it looks like to be ambassadors in this city, in this nation that we're here. We're here on purpose. This isn't our permanent home. We are residents of a different nation, the nation of heaven, and we're here on assignment. And so to further kind of explore and dig deep into that truth of who we are, I was like, hmm, I actually know somebody who works at an embassy for a very long time, actually. And so I was talking with them about, man, what does it look like to be an ambassador? What was your experience there? And that person, out of the 52 weeks she could have been here, she's actually here today. So would you give a warm welcome to my grandmother, Nancy, right here. So her voice is a little in and out, but I wanted to share to you where her postings were because this is just really, really cool. Um, So she was in the service for 33 years, okay? And these are the different stations that she was a commercial counselor, which was like the number three position in an embassy. So you have the ambassador, the deputy... Am I saying this right? Okay, cool. And then the commercial counselor. (laughs) And so here were some of her postings. She started off in Spain. She was in Argentina, Hong Kong, Brussels, Jakarta, Taiwan, London, Azerbaijan, South Africa, Abu Dhabi, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and Central America. Um, So, I mean, she was literally all over the world. So it's really cool. Thank you. And growing up, at least the postings that I remember, we got to visit her. And so we visited her in London, in El Salvador, and in Abu Dhabi, which was, did I go to Jakarta? Well, when I was a baby, that doesn't count. Yeah, I don't. (laughs) Yes, exactly, Indonesia. Um, And so we're going to get back to that conversation I had with her in a little bit, but it is really fascinating when you have an actual picture of what it means to be on assignment and what that role entails. So to get started with this morning, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump into the word. Father, thank you for being here, for being in our midst. Holy Spirit, would you train us and teach us and instruct us in your word? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, starting um, off in John 17, verse 13, where we left off from last week. And it says, now I am coming to you. This is Jesus in the upper room discourse. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, and so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. So we're in this series of unity, of Jesus' last kind of all-encompassing prayer for us. 
Obviously, that's significant. And in this passage alone, I mean, this is just six verses, but he mentions the word world eight times just in those few verses. And so I wanted to do a little DTT, okay, a defining of the terms for um, our message today. So we have the world and then we have the planet Earth. So the world and the Earth is actually two different things in the Greek. The Earth is just the planet in which we live, right? Trees, mountains. I don't have to explain the, the word earth to you. Um, sorry, I'm like moving from children's mode to adult mode. The planet Earth rotates around the sun. Okay, so and then <laughs> we have the world. The world is a more broad, all-encompassing term. So it's not just our planet, but it's the solar system. It's the stars. And more specifically, it's the power that is at work in the earth. So it can be specific in a point of history. So say like what was happening in the world during the Roman Empire is different than what's happening here. But there's still the same system at work in the earth. And so if I like gave you a worksheet and it said circle the terms that represent the world in the Bible, obviously all of you guys could do that. But I think sometimes when we specifically say what the term world means, it helps give us a context of how it actually infiltrates our lives. And so the operating system of the world are things like control, greed, being power hungry over other humans, hate, deception, selfishness, self-pleasure over everything and everyone, doing whatever it takes to get ahead, finding ways of ranking ourselves better than somebody else, judging who is in and who is out, and judgment passing in similar, similar ideologies. So if you notice this list, which obviously isn't all comprehensive, but what you notice is that there's, there's sins there, but they're more specifically relational sins. It's how I interact with somebody else. And I think the problem, at least with me, and I think with our Western culture in specificity, is that we think in terms of individuality, when like my sin just affects me, it's just me sending myself somewhere, but really, it's better if you think about it as like a toxic environment. So if you go somewhere and the air is literally toxic, it's not just you breathing in toxic air, but it's you exhaling toxic air as well. And so this is where Jesus comes in on the scene, where we don't just need forgiveness from our own sins, from this cosmic power of sin that is in the earth, but we need rescuing from this toxic environment, this toxic way of living. So it's so much bigger than just me and my own actions. It's a system that I was born into. It's a system that I am breathing in and breathing out, and it's a system that I need rescuing and freedom from. So if we look to that last part of the beginning of the verse where it says, now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was in this world. So in this age, in this system, so that way they would be filled with my joy. 
And here we see Jesus contrasting his system that he's trying to download into the earth and how we should act and live and how that is such contrast to the age in which we live in. The age that brings despair and death, his system brings joy, which is really cool. He could have said anything there, but he said, so they would be filled with my joy. So let's look at what the operating system of the kingdom of heaven looks like. And we find this through all of his teaching. Again, this is not all comprehensive, but just an idea. If you bite-size what Jesus was trying to download into our age, it is pretty joyful. I mean, it's amazing. This is how the kingdom of God operates. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, the humble, those who work for peace, those whose hearts are pure. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Your father will provide for you. Repent, but also forgive each other. Store up your treasures in heaven. Keep on asking and you'll receive. He taught us how to pray. He taught us that children are valuable. He taught us to love your neighbor and a stepfather love your enemy. How to honor one another and how to line up your actions with your motives. So here we see that Jesus, through his whole time of ministry, he's revealing, like we talked about first week, who God actually is. He's writing some of those definitions where things could have gotten skewed of what God's agenda was. Jesus here is setting it straight. I am revealing to you a different operating system that should be in the world as my followers And it's complete opposite, right? It's light versus dark. It's pure good versus evil. It's iPhone versus Android. They're two different operating systems. I mean, the operating systems just of those phones alone, like I probably won't ever be an Android user because I don't want to learn a new operating system. They're both phones. We all live on the planet Earth, but there's two ways of functioning. One is light, and one is pure darkness. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> um, and there's just an amazing amount of people who are converting, if you will, to the light side. One, who happened to be on our staff, and you know, I'm just really grateful. It's just... It's easier. It's much easier with the blue instead of the green. So, um, <laughs> so who wasn't filled with joy when they heard Jesus' message? It was people who were clinging to their station in life. Power, control, greed. And I think my tendency when I think of the world, the churchy term of that, is I'm thinking like prostitutes, drug addicts, fentanyl distributors. But what we see here is who was most offended by Jesus' message were the religious leaders. It's the people who looked good. But on the inside, their operating system was dark and evil. When we are regenerated, all of our insides are cleaned out. And I think the the Pharisees' problem wasn't that their actions weren't good per se, but they needed a cleansing out. And that's why we see Jesus 
presents this message. And who is running to him? The prostitutes, the thieves. They recognize their own darkness. But how dark is darkness if it's parading around as light? That's what the Pharisees were doing. They wanted to cling on to their control, their power, their influence, instead of being made new, being a new creation in Jesus. Following in verse 14, Jesus says, I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. When we accept and surrender that Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life, we're transferred from this kingdom of darkness into this kingdom of light. We're regenerated. We're new creations. We're now operating in a completely different way. The other way is not compatible anymore. Only this way of light. It's like we no longer breathe this toxic air, but now we're breathing in a new thing called grace and love. And not only are we breathing it in, but we're actually exhaling it towards other people. Is we're creating new creation space wherever we go. And that's why influence in your work is so critically important. Because where you are, there's darkness that is reigning. But when you enter into that space, you are breathing and exhaling out grace and love. And you're planting seeds of new creation. your children infected me and I'm (laughs) getting over it. A cold. So why does the world hate the light? Why does this operating system hate what is good so much? We see this answer in John 3.19. This is the crisis we're in. God light streamed into the world. But men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and illusion, hates God light and won't come near it, fearing a painful exposure. But anyone working and living in truth and reality welcomes God light so the work can be seen for the God work it truly is. It's threatening. The darkness is threatened by light. It doesn't operate the same way. It's not controlled the same way. And in fact, um, what made me think of this is I'm a fairly competitive person, but I'm not good at anything, which is a a real problem for me. And in my early 20s, I was um, working at, like, a leadership institute in Atlanta, and we would come home for Christmas, and my little sister was a teenager at the time, and so our family went bowling, naturally. <laughs> and um, so I am I made up this whole scenario in my head of, like, I have to beat my little sister because she's little, you know. <laughs> and... Um, And so we're playing. We're having a good time. We have the pitchers of soda, the fries, the cheeseburgers. I mean, it's all good. It's supposed to be fun. And I'm making it like the great race. 
And um, so finally, <clears throat> she ends up beating me. And I'm, I'm like a child. Like, I'm in such a bad mood. I am so frustrated. And everyone's like, Lucy, it's just a game. It's just a game, Lucy. That was Anders. That's how he sounds. <laughs> and I was mad not because she won. I was mad because she didn't care. Like, she didn't care that she beat me. And I was so frustrated because she was working on a different operating system than me. Like, competition, it was important to, to win or lose. And she did not care. And I think that's how the world is, is it's not competing. We're not competing with the darkness anymore. Like, our flesh is no longer in control. And so the temptations, the seductions of this world are just that. But they don't have like a marionette controlling power over me anymore. And that's what the darkness hates. And we're no longer hiding in sin and therefore we don't have control. We're welcoming exposure. And so like a little litmus test you can do if you're like, man, what's in control of my heart? My sinful nature or being spirit led? I would submit to you, how welcoming are you of exposure? If you're welcoming exposure, accountability, um, correction, that's God working on the inside of you. That's being spirit-led by truth. All right, let's move on to verse 15. Rob, are there any, like, mints or anything? Oh, yes, of course you do. Thank you. We're just such a family. This is just really great for me. I don't, this is going to be spicy. I don't know. You're from Indonesia. (laughs) I have water up here. I just, it's your children, man. Like they just, it's the back to school cold. Did anyone have, uh, like, other kids get sick this week? No. Okay, cool. <laughs> That's just really wonderful. Okay. Really happy for you. Just I'm so happy for you. Okay. <clears throat> Verse 15. The question is, <clears throat> if we're no longer controlled by the darkness, Why did he leave us here then? That's the next step. And so verse 15 says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They don't belong to this world any more than I do. It's interesting that Jesus didn't remove us from this age. So if salvation, being saved from internal punishment was the only goal, When I prayed the prayer when I was five, I should have been taken right up to heaven, right out of my mom's bathroom. I didn't need to live this life. But Jesus left us here. He didn't remove us from the world. He didn't even create, like, this is the good side of the planet and this is the bad side of the planet. Like, we're all enmeshed into one. Why? I think there's a couple reasons. One, which we hit last week. But first is he knows that the light is always stronger than the darkness. 
We don't have to be fearful slaves because we're not controlled by that system anymore. That operating system of darkness, of greed, control, no longer has power over me. When my flesh desires pride, the spirit convicts me and says, put others before you. Walk in humility. It's beautiful. And in fact, a few chapters earlier in this upper room discourse, Jesus says, Do not fear, for I have overcome the world. He gives us that peace of mind. And I think in some religious circles, um, it can be easy to blame Satan, the devil, over everything that's going wrong in your life, or to be fearful that what you're going to say or do is going to, like it's like this formula of good living, and if you don't do these things, then you're entering into this realm. Listen, The Jesus in you is stronger than he who is in the world, okay? The darkness out there cannot control you. You don't have to be afraid of it. And this is how we as parents have to teach our children not to be afraid of the darkness. It's like, hey, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, that's inside of you. And you don't have to fear anything. The second reason why we don't have to be afraid and why he's left us here is what we talked about last week. Our purpose is connected to this age. We're here because we are sent here. We're not waiting it out. We're not in a refugee camp until we get to heaven. We are here on assignment. And that's the keep us safe part is, um, There's a temptation, though, to fall back into, not that the evil one is, like, too powerful for us, but the temptation is for our own selves to walk backwards into the world system. And that's the temptation is what the enemy is trying to do is actually very, very subtle. It's thinking that you can control things, that a little power is okay, that a little selfishness is okay. And we find ourselves walking backwards into the kingdom of darkness, and we start looking and acting like that again. And this is where my conversation with my grandmother, Nancy, comes into play. I asked her about this, and she told me some fascinating things. The reasons why she was in so many countries over so many years is the U.S. government purposely switches people every two or three years because they don't want them to start identifying too much with that culture. You have to remember where you're from. You have to remember who you're representing. And in fact, there is a name for this, which I thought was hilarious. It's called clientitis. You start identifying too much with who your client is instead of who your employer is. There's some people who started dressing the way that the locals dressed, started practicing religion the way that the locals practiced religion. And I don't know if this is really politically correct, but I'm going to say it because that's just what they called it. They called it going native. 
when you started looking, acting, dressing, talking like the culture that you were supposed to be representing a different type of culture. You were never supposed to blend in, which I think sometimes gets skewed with Christianity of like, you know, blend in, look like a local. And in some sense, yes. But in other senses, no. Like, build friendships, yes, but you don't have to dress and look and do the things that they do. You are here to actually stand out, not blend into the world. And I find that so much in my times, like I'm guilty of clientitis, where I start identifying, I start having sympathy for my previous captor. Like, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, I could do this. I can listen to that. And I find myself slipping back into that old operating system of where and how I used to talk and act and think. And the interesting thing is it's not necessarily outside things, but inside motives of my own heart start to stink and become toxic again. So how do we stay vigilant? How do we look different in this world? What's the offense? And Jesus talks about it in verse 17. It says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Holiness is one of those church terms that makes you like suck in your breath and sit up straight. And there's negative connotations associated with it of like better than above. And to me, the better than and above, that's the a worldly system type of thinking. That's not the kingdom mind. Holiness is being set apart to look and act differently, not better than because we're united in the fact that we're all sinners. No one is better than anyone else. But now we can be united in the kingdom of light as holy. And I love this. This is what... um. this is so Jesus, it's so like God being outside of time and space, is through Jesus' sacrifice, we are holy, we are cleansed in the sight of God. So through his blood, we are holy, and also at the same time, we are being made holy. We are being separated from the kingdom of darkness. We are being sanctified continuously, and that's where you'll see synonyms of this throughout the gospels of this, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's being sanctified and set apart, and this is how we are on the offense of what the evil one is doing is we unite around the fact that we can live and operate differently. If there's just one person doing something, it feels like they're weird or they're an outlier. But if there's a community of light, it perpetuates the truth of Jesus that this thing is real, it's working, it's powerful, and it's stronger than the darkness. Jesus goes on to say, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And if you look closely, make them holy by your truth. Who is the part of the Trinity that is the purveyor of truth? 
Who is the one who is whispering, who is teaching us? It's the Holy Spirit. And so we see the whole entire Trinity at work in this prayer of God the Father, Jesus, I'm coming to you. I've done this holy sacrifice. Now, Holy Spirit, you're on the job to make them holy, to set them apart. It's all about relationship. It's not a formula or a checklist. It's within being in a community of relationship that sets us apart, makes us look different than the operating system of this world. When we become Christians, it's like we're walking into a dinner party and we're participants, we're guests. We're not the host. The Holy Spirit is the host. We're walking into something that is already going on and we have to release control of that. And now it's saying, how can I participate in this party? How can I network and talk and have fun and enjoy the food that is here that has been set before me? Also being like a a new Christian is by... God adopting us into his family. And again, that looks different. We are now sons and daughters. We're not parents. We're, we're following the leading of what's already happening in the family of God. And we're siblings to each other. And so I think the interesting thing is sometimes I can just get so siloed in my thinking of it's about me. My faith is about me. And in a way it is, but that is such like just half of what is going on. My accountability to God is not just how good of a daughter I am, but how good of a sister I am to this community, to you. For you, you're going to be held accountable to how your sibling interactions were, to how you reconciled relationships with one another, to how you took care of a younger brother or sister in the faith. We're going to be accountable for how we shared, how we preferred one another in love. It's all about this community. Holiness is not a checklist. The Holy Spirit is transforming us that don't conform to the patterns of this world verse in Romans 12 too. But the Holy Spirit is transforming us through family relationship with God and family relationship with one another. That is how he is setting us apart, actively. Remember in the beginning where we looked at the world's system of operation and how most of it could be categorized as relational sin and harm. It obviously then makes complete sense that this new operating system of holiness is through unity with one another. It's through relational wholeness instead of relational harm and brokenness. It's through the benefit of one another is how we're perpetuating this holy new system. It's not like ostracizing other people. It's bringing light into the world. And I think sometimes I can think that like holiness is separating myself physically from something. And it's like, in some ways, yes. And especially when you're a new Christian, that's very important. But we see Jesus not separating himself from anything. He's eating with people who are greedy, who are tax collectors. He's in the world, but he's not of it. 
And what it means, holiness, is it's not a physical separation from something. It's a separation from a system. So it's like if you view your life as a tapestry, it's like thread by thread. I am detaching myself from the system of this world, and I'm attaching my affections to Jesus. And that is the work of transformation. That's the work of holiness being worked out in my life and in your life. It's submitting to this relationship with the Holy Spirit of saying, okay, I'm not just dead and now I'm alive. I'm living in a relationship. I'm a table guest at an ongoing dinner party. I'm a sibling in a relationship. Make me holy there, God. He knew we needed each other. He knew clientitis would start creeping in. He knew that we would go native And we needed a holy community that was set apart to act and look different, to remind us of our assignment and who we are and whose we are. And this is my prayer for our church, for the body of believers in different churches all around this city, as we learn to look what it looks like to be unified in a dark place, that we would be a holy community that's preferring one another over themselves, that outdoes each other in showing honor, that breaks down who is in and who is out. Oh God, make us advocates of the weak, of the oppressed. Lord, allow ourselves to be corrected instead of having to be right all the time. God, we want to not just pretend to love other people, but to really, truly love them. Let's combat the dark by living holy, different, set apart. Not better than. We have a new operating system put into us by the regeneration of Jesus and his sacrifice. I am made holy. You are made holy by putting first that parent relationship with God. of saying, God, I trust you. I put you in control. I am a sibling. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. And then also transform me through my own sibling relationships through community. Ephesians 5.8, and I'll close with this. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light, for this is the light within you. It produces only only what is good and right and true. Would you pray with me? Lord, we submit to this assignment and we submit to your truth. Holy Spirit, continue to sanctify us, set us apart make us look different we don't want to blend in thank you that you're at this point in our world where we can't teeter-totter on the fence of being a local and being a representative any longer we have to make a choice and would we choose to do that together Would we show the world what the new operating system of grace and life and love looks like? And would that be compelling is the way that we treat one another. 
the way that I treat my sisters and my brothers compels people to come into my family. God, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for praying this for us. You could have prayed a million things, but you prayed for us to be one, for us to be holy, that you haven't forgotten about us, that we're not just waiting here. But this is on purpose in your continuing your good and true work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.